the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of the Arsene. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Okie dokie then. Good morning to you, friends. It's seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. How about it on a Thursday, the 21st morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk with the man-selected by former President Donald J. Trump to be the nominee to face Marcy or to face uh, Sherrod Brown. We'll get to the Marcy Captor story in another in a in a short while. To face Sherrod Brown in uh, a battle for Brown's U.S. Senate seat. Bernie Marino, Frank LaRose, Matt Dolan, all scrambling to try to be the guy. And Bernie Marino lands the coveted endorsement, as you know, from Tuesday. Today, Bernie will join us at 9.35. We're going to talk in depth about what that means and about what his plans are and about what it will take to defeat Sherrod Brown. Moreover, we're going to talk about how extraordinarily important it is, as in integral to protecting this democracy. Not the democracy the way the Democrats use it. We are a republic, but to democracy. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Of course, it has to do with Colorado. So we're going to talk to Bernie Moreno, Bernie Moreno coming up coming up at about uh, 9.35 this morning. Looking forward to that. At 10.10, we'll always, as we always do, we are going to talk with um, 
Dr. Everett Piper. He is one of our generals and leaders in the culture war we find ourselves in. We did not choose this war, but we must win it. And we're going to need the guidance of people like Dr. Piper. And then we're also going to try to track down Jonathan Broadbent. Uh, Jonathan uh, has put a video on Rumble uh, together, and he is circulating a petition believed to be to stop businesses from investing or individuals, businesses from doing business in, and then individuals from supporting businesses from the state of Colorado. Obviously, that also ties to the Colorado Supreme Court decision to bar Donald Trump from the ballot in that state. So we've got uh, those conversations scheduled for this morning. Very important issues all, and I look forward to your thoughts at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Now, before we uh, miss it, yesterday we kind of uh, passed over the time for the Pledge of Allegiance because we were, and I was, so uh, infuriated by what Colorado was doing to the rule of law, to the Constitution, to due process rights, to voters, disenfranchising them, taking away real democracy, going back to that word again, which is the the practice of electing our uh, leaders. And uh, so I was so frustrated by that, we glossed right over the pledge and never came back to it, I don't believe. So let us right that wrong right now, and let's stand up and face the flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you believe in denying voters the opportunity to choose the candidate they wish because unelected, bureaucratic, uh, Supreme state Supreme Court justices can decide for everybody else what they'll have access to and what they won't without due process or trials commencing. If you believe in all of that, then you don't have to stand and pretend you believe in liberty. You don't. Instead, take a knee over there with the rest of the good little socialists and Marxists while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So there are so many new elements to this uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to try to tackle as many of them as we can. Uh, But to say that um, what the Colorado Supreme Court did yesterday has touched a nerve and triggered people all over the country is an understatement. It has. Even Democrats, not all, but some Democrats are are condemning and criticizing this. Even Trump-hating Republicans are condemning and criticizing this. Yesterday, I heard John Bolton. Ambassador John Bolton, you know how well he and uh, Trump get along these days after Trump appointed him and then uh, ended up firing him or forcing uh, Bolton to step down. But uh, Bolton has been one of the loudest and most shrill Republican uh, critics of Donald Trump. And yesterday he defended Donald Trump and condemned and criticized what uh, Colorado is doing. Now, yesterday, one of my first responses to the Colorado decision to strip uh, Donald Trump of his constitutional rights and his place on the ballot in Colorado is that you know this is going to embolden other states. This is going to embolden other states and Supreme Courts and so forth to do the same thing, which is truly going to be a situation in which uh, the American people lose their rights, to, again, to democracy. And I, I feel like I have to keep defining that word, and I don't want to overdo it. <clears throat> But just think about how how confusing they're saying that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. So 
in an attempt to uh, save and preserve democracy, we have to strip away democracy. Think about that for a moment. It's not, it's, it's not as confusing as it sounds, but I know it does sound that way. To protect democracy, because Trump is a threat to democracy, we need to strip away the democratic principles and not allow the people to choose whether or not they want this guy as their president. Take his name off the ballot without any justification, evidence, or reason whatsoever, even if you are going to invoke the ridiculous, outdated, and not relevant uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, even if you are going to invoke that, you have to have a trial. You have to prove that he did indeed commit insurrection. We all know that he did not. But those who think he did, okay, you still have to prove it. And if you don't prove it in a court of law and find him guilty of insurrection, then you cannot then remove his name from the ballot in the state of Colorado or anywhere else on the grounds of insurrection. It's just, it's just so bizarre. But we told you it was going to spread, and it took less than a day. Following Colorado Supreme Court's ruling barring Donald Trump from the Centennial State's ballot, uh, California's Democrat Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Eleni uh, Kunalakis if I'm saying that correctly, sent a letter to Secretary of State Shirley Weber demanding that she explore every legal option to remove Donald Trump from California's 2024 presidential primary ballot as well. Quote, I am prompted by the Colorado Supreme Court's recent ruling that former President Donald Trump is ineligible to appear on the state's ballot as a presidential candidate due to his role in inciting an insurrection in the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. This decision is about honoring the rule of law in our country and protecting the fundamental pillars of our democracy. End quote. She wrote all of this urging the Secretary of State in California to prohibit that state's voters from voting for the candidate of their choosing, which, again, they're calling in defense of democracy by literally attacking democracy. The letter continued, California must stand on the right side of history. Stop for a second there. What is, how is stripping the constitutional rights of a political candidate by convicting him in the court of public opinion, not in a court of law, and then punishing him based on that public opinion, uh, court of public opinion verdict, punishing him, how is that the right side of history? If that is the right side of history, then we all must collectively weep for the future. If, if a future America will look back on this moment in time when Donald J. Trump was denied an opportunity to run for president because of public opinion, and not even the general public's opinion, the general public continues to support him to the tune of massive leads in the uh, Republican primaries and massive leads over the uh, uh, Democratic incumbent, Joe Biden, in hypothetical head-to-head matchups. So it's not even the court of, you know, all public opinion. It's in the court of the opinion of the radical left, including those in the Secretary of State's office in California, the Lieutenant Governor's office in California, obviously the Governor's office in California, in the Supreme Court chambers, of the state of Colorado and on down the line. The left-wing fringe of the United States is not the full court of public opinion, but it is making that decision for the rest of the general public. So if, as I say, this is the right side of history, then the future is doomed. The future is doomed. What does that look like? 
if 20 years into this into the future of this country we look back on the history of the year 2023 right if we look back at this era in time and and they look back 20 years from now on 2023 let's say in 2050 go out a few a little further if in 2050 they're looking back and saying that was a huge great moment in our history then what would the country have to look like at that time it would have to be a full-on authoritarian socialist state. You understand that? For this to be the right side of history in 2023, then America's future has to be a dark, authoritarian, deeply socialist and or Marxist state. Because only democracy the practice of letting the people choose their elected officials, and only the constitutional republic that those elected officials um, are, are chosen to serve in. And I use these words very, very carefully. They don't rule in. These elected officials don't rule in this republic. They serve in this republic, and they serve the whims of the people who put them there. That is the nature of the founding of this country. The founding of this country, the founding of the Constitution, and yes, the amendments to the Constitution, including but with exceptions to the intent of certain amendments like the 14th and Section 3, but those things were intended to protect democracy and protect the republic. If this is the right side of history, that means the future is, is no longer a republic. We will, Benjamin Franklin said it. It's a republic if you can keep it. We will have lost it. We will have lost it if if this stands. Now, first of all, I'm going to obviously point out the obvious. I don't think it will stand. I agree with most of the legal scholars who have said that the Supreme Court of the United States will likely overturn this in short order, and they will likely do so nine to nothing. Now, that's giving a lot of credit to some of the far left wingers on that court. So, so I'm I'm not going to hold my breath on nine to nothing, but. Yes, um, I, I believe most of those scholars are correct when they say that the Supreme Court will overturn this in short order and Donald Trump will be on the ballot in Colorado and in California and in other places. But again, the letter to the, from the lieutenant governor to the secretary of state in California says that California must stand on the right side of history. For that to be the case here, that means the future is no longer a representative republic. There is no longer democracy. The people no longer have the choice of the uh, candidates that they want to, they want to uh, uh, choose to lead them. That, that authoritarianism will reign. That's just, there's no other way to see it. She continued, California is obligated to determine if Trump is ineligible for the California ballot for the same reasons described in Anderson. The, that's the case in Colorado's high court. The Colorado decision can be the basis for a similar decision here in our state. The Constitution is clear. You must be 40 years old and not be an insurrectionist, she added, in a ridiculously stupid and incomprehensible line. Because this secretary, or excuse me, uh, uh, lieutenant governor in the state of California does not know the constitutional requirements to become president. You have to be 35 to be eligible to be a president of the United States. She wrote in her letter to the secretary of state demanding that Donald Trump be deemed ineligible. She wrote that you have to be 40. 35, not 40. That's number one. And number two... The line about the insurrection is, is, again, the most troubling of this entire thing. For those who have not read 
And it, it dawned on me uh, toward the end of yesterday's show that we've been talking about the 14th Amendment, Section 3, which they are using and invoking as a reason to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. We, we approached it yesterday pretty much as if everybody knew exactly what it said. And, and that's, to, that's my fault. I want to read it so that you know it. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Quote, no person shall be a senator or representative in Cong- uh, Congress or elector of uh, president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having been previ- who, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability. So, this is extraordinarily important to understand. This was written right after the Civil War, specifically and intentionally to prohibit those who fought for the Confederacy, which was an insurrection. Those who fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War to stop them from holding federal office. That's what this was written for. That's it. Nothing else. Congress can, by a two-thirds vote of each House, remove such disability if indeed there is an insurrectionist that is on the ballot for one of these particular federal offices. That is wholly unnecessary because of the definition of insurrection and the definition of rebellion. As I said to you yesterday, when Donald Trump told his supporters to peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol to make their voices heard, not to make their their um, you know to make violence uh, felt, to make your voices heard, to go down there and protest the way people do at Cat the Capitol, the way that people do outside of the Supreme Court, the way that people do outside of the White House to protest and demonstrate and be loud and to chant, whether they're chanting uh, for uh, an audit in support of uh, a holding, holding off on the certification of the election due to questions about irregularities, if not outright illegalities, in the 2020 election, or if they're outside chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, protest with your voices is allowed. Donald Trump telling people to go make their voices heard peacefully and patriotically in no way, shape, or form violates that, that principle. It certainly does not foment violence. It certainly does not lead to insurrection. Secondly, insurrection isn't just going in and smashing windows and trashing a building. Insurrection is an attempt to take over the government, to literally overtake it, and to change it, and to cast out the current sitting governor, or government, rather. Well, the sitting government that day spoke at the Ellipse. The leader of the government was the President of the United States. How can he commit insurrection against a government that he was still in charge of? He did not surrender control of the government and the presidency until January 20th when Joe Biden was inaugurated. He was still in charge. You cannot lead an insurrection against a government that you are already in charge of. That's, that's I think, point two. And then, the, of course, point three is, if they were going to try to overthrow the government, 
remove the existing uh, uh, leaders in in the capital. You would have think you would have thought that the army sent down there down there to do so would have been armed, considering the fact that they were wading into capital police to commit this insurrection and overtake the government with armed with nothing more the flagpoles that they carried waving flags of of loyalty and and support for the great uh, republic considering that's all they had then no one can possibly consider this an insurrection now let's say you disagree with every word i just said and said yes they did it was still an insurrection you know what that is that's your opinion and you are entitled to it in the same way that i'm entitled to mine you can not render guilty verdicts on people's opinions. Just like you can't technically find him not guilty because of my opinions, you cannot find him guilty because of yours. The reason is there has been no trial. And I know a lot of this is redundant, but this needs to be emphasized. Victor Davis Hanson, no less than Victor Davis Hanson, one of the most brilliant minds, I think, in, in, uh, in punditry and in, in working in media today. Victor Davis Hanson wrote a piece that I'm going to read to you a little later on. We're going to break here because we've got Bernie Moreno coming. But he wrote a piece that underscored this and I think really, uh, truly illustrated it better than anybody can, even better than I've been trying to do for the last two days. You cannot convict someone who has not been held uh, who has not been uh, accused uh, and uh, indicted and tried for a crime and then convicted and then, of course, punished. You cannot skip all of the above to get to conviction and then say, because of that, you cannot be appear on the ballot. It's just that's not how the system works in any way, shape, or form. The Supreme Court is going to act here, but the fact that California has already followed Colorado's lead, that don't think that it stops there. There will be another four, five, six, seven, eight states probably by the weekend that are going to do the same thing. Colorado has set the bar. We said this yesterday, and it's coming true today. All right, let's get a timeout here. It's 927. We're going to talk to Bernie Marino, candidate for the United States Senate, now enjoying the support of Bernie Marino, a highly respected businessman from the great state of Ohio, is exactly the type of MAGA fighter that we need in the United States Senate. Bernie will also always stand up to the fascist nut jobs and the spineless rhinos in order to fight the corrupt deep state that is destroying our country. Remember, we need a successful political outsider like Bernie to defeat liberal career politician Sherrod Brown, who has so poorly represented Ohio and pretends that he's all for the policies of your favorite president, Donald J. Trump, but then gets to the Senate and votes 100% for the horrendous policies of crooked Joe Biden, the worst president in the history of our country. Don't be fooled by Sherrod Brown. He's a radical left liberal who will always let you down. He does not stand for Ohio values and never will. Bernie Marino, on the other hand, will always put America first. As you can imagine, those were not my words. Those were the words of President Donald J. Trump, number 45, as a part of his announcement of his endorsement for, of Bernie Marino for the Republican nomination to take on Sherrod Brown in this Senate fight. And joining us now is the man who is on the receiving end of all of that praise, Bernie Marino. Good to have you back on the program, Bernie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Bob. Well, congratulations. What did you think when you read that love letter from the President of the United States to you? Or the former President, well, I beg your pardon. Well, future president, uh, I, I was I was honored. Uh, I was honored. Uh, obviously, his endorsement is the most powerful endorsement probably in modern political history. 
Uh, he's very popular in Ohio, rightfully so. We've seen what Joe Biden has done to this country over three years. It seems like 30 uh, in terms of the destruction he's laid in this, in this nation. And we know what, what life was like under President Trump. We had, uh, we had low inflation. We had low interest rates. We had world peace. And I think ultimately that's what the election next year is going to be all about. Bernie, just a couple of days before that announcement of the endorsement uh, was made, um, Frank LaRose, who is one of your two uh, Republican rivals in this fight, um, was did a TV interview and, and said, there's no way President Trump's going to endorse in this race. He's going to stay out of it. If he does endorse, he said, I think I'll get it, um, uh, did Frank LaRose. Uh, but I do not think he's going to endorse in this race, and uh, this is going to be up to the people. So he said that literally, I think it was Monday that he said that, and then uh, on Tuesday you got the uh, you got the endorsement. What do you think led President Trump to doing the opposite of what uh, Secretary LaRose did and uh, made a made a decision in this race? You know, I can't speak to why Frank made those comments. Uh, I talked to President Trump on Friday evening, uh, and that's when he informed me that uh, he was prepared to endorse in a race. He doesn't want the race to be messy. I think any money that we spend between now and March 19th is a benefit to Sherrod Brown. And what we have to be doing, Bob, right now is just uniting the party because Sherrod Brown is the most difficult politician in Ohio to beat. There's a guy who's been in office for 50 years, 30 of them in D.C. He's very entrenched. He's going to have boatloads of money. And what President Trump uh, was working on and what J.D.'s been working on since April is let's bring the party together and avoid a destructive primary like we had last cycle. So what did the president say to you on Friday that when he told you that you were going to get, I mean, well, actually, did he tell you at that point you are getting my endorsement when you said he was told you that he is prepared to endorse in this race? Did he let you let you in on it at that point? Yes, uh, he, he was with uh, J.D. and wanted to uh, let me know that, uh, that, you know, he's been watching the race carefully. And the important part was how do we bring the party together? As you know, he encouraged me to run back in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was with me from the beginning. I've been with him before that. I endorsed him in January. I was the, uh, really the first candidate to do that. And we, what we need is a united Republican Party to move forward to beat Sheriff Brown. And that's what I'm working on now is how do we bring the entirety of the Republican Party together with a singular focus on beating Sheriff Brown? Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, in his follow-up tweet to the one that I just read to introduce you, he said it's time for the entire Republican Party to unite around Bernie's campaign for the Senate so that he can have a big victory in what will be the most important election in American history. Um, why do you suppose it is that um, Sherrod Brown, as you just described him, has been so hard to beat, being entrenched for 50 years, 30 in D.C.? Well, he's got the entirety of the Ohio media behind him. I mean, the way they treat him, uh, they cover for his horrific record. Uh, they, of course, are the communications arm. I mean, the Cleveland Plain Dealer should change their name to the Sherrod Brown Communications Headquarters. Uh, the entirety of Ohio media uh, will do everything they can to, to make certain that Sherrod Brown gets reelected. And that's a, that's a big obstacle. I mean, that's a multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, in-kind contribution to Sherrod Brown that he gets year in and year out. And he is the only statewide elected Democrat that's not a, a Supreme Court justice. So the, it, when we take out Sherrod Brown, the Ohio Republican Party will not basically no longer exist, and they know that. So they're going to bring everything they've got to this race, national money. Sherrod Brown's already raised 80% of his money from out of state. He'll have Hollywood money, he'll have big tech money, he'll have Wall Street money, union money. I mean, this is going to be a probably two or $300 million race. And a messy primary, again, like I said, only benefits Sherrod Brown.
So Bernie Marino, candidate for U.S. Senate, everything you just said about Sherrod Brown and how he's won in the past with this big machine, the media machine you just talked about, the fundraising machine that you talked about coming from out of state, that was there all of his, you know, in his other elections, is still there now. So what makes you different? What makes you more likely to beat him than anybody who has lost him throughout the last uh, 30 years? So I'm the perfect contrast to him. I've spent my whole life, as you know, in the business world, never held elected office, never even been on a ballot. This is a guy who went to Yale University. You know, people don't talk about that. This guy went to Yale. He's from a very wealthy family, majored in Russian studies, and goes immediately into elected office and has never worked in the private sector. So it will expose that. Number two is he's running in a presidential year. The last time he did that was in 2012 when he ran on the coattails of uh, Barack Obama. Now, Josh Mandel uh, took uh, uh, Sherrod Brown to 50%. So uh, Sherrod, had there not been a Tea Party candidate, probably would have lost in 2012 with a very popular incumbent among Democrats. The difference is that Joe Biden is deeply unpopular throughout Ohio, especially among black voters. And that's what's going to be different in 2024, is that President Trump's going to win Ohio by 12 to 15 points. And again, and now you're, he's going to have to uh, uh, separate himself from Biden. And he's already starting to do that. Of course, the media doesn't press him on that, right? They don't say, hey, you voted almost 100% of the time with Biden. How are you now separating yourself from Biden? We'll merge those two because they're one and the same. Um, are, you, are you pretty much in campaign mode now, Bernie, against Jared Brown? Uh, does the endorsement of President Trump clinch your your victory in the primary, or are you still concerned about Frank LaRosa and Matt Dolan? No, I never, I never uh, accept. Uh, I will accept victory at uh, the end of the day on March nineteenth. The primary, we're going to work like we're in fifth place in a three way race. Uh, this is, as you know, I've sold all my business interests. This is what I do all day, every day is campaign. So we'll travel the entire state. We've been to all eighty eight counties. We've raised money in all eighty eight counties. We have over 500 grassroots endorsements. We got the endorsement of the three counties that have endorsed thus far. Butler was 72%, Claremont was 73% of the vote, and Delaware was 67 So we're going to continue to press the case all over Ohio. I take absolutely nothing for granted. I'm going to work my tail off uh, between now and March 19th and from March 19th to the general election in November. You know, it's interesting you say you're going to continue to work as if you're in sixth place, because in most of the state polls for this race, you have been in third place of those of those uh, uh, other candidates with Frank LaRosa in the lead and then Matt Dolan and then you. And again, I say most of them. What do you expect that the president's endorsement will do to those polls when the new ones come out? Well, we've already seen a major shift. So, as you know, we didn't start advertising until after issue one uh, mm-hmm. in November. We didn't want to compete with messaging on issue one. As you know, my wife and I put a lot of money into defeating issue one. So now we started advertising shortly after there. Now there's been three polls, Coefficient, uh, Fabrizio, and McLaughlin, the three most respected pollsters in America, and all three of those polls were leading. And that's before President Trump's endorsement. I suspect that will uh, do it even better. But again, I don't take anything for granted. Uh, again, I will run like I'm in fifth place. We're going to work really, really hard and make certain that we get my message out to all of Ohio. We want to get the endorsement from Cuyahoga County, Franklin, Preble, Brown, uh, Warren, Madison. All those counties are coming up, and we're going to work really hard to get the endorsement from all those counties. You know, Bernie, um, Frank LaRose, again, uh, kind of leading in the polls in most of the, those other polls, um, 
is it, it looks like he is still fighting because I saw a tweet yesterday. He was announcing an endorsement from a sheriff of, of someone or another, some county or another, which is which is certainly fine. Um, do you think there's any chance that he drops? Do you think there's any chance that he looks at this and says, I needed that Trump endorsement? I didn't think I would anybody was going to get one, but now that Bernie has it, maybe we should do exactly what Donald Trump said in his second tweet, unite around Bernie's campaign. Do you think he's going to stay in it for until March 19th, or do you think there's a chance he may say, hey, we got to work together for the common good? That's 100% up to him. I think Frank's a good man. He served our country, uh, which I honor and respect very much. The country's better off as a result of his service. Likewise. He's running Yeah, he's running for, for uh, a good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a good job as Secretary of State for the most part. So I, he's going to make the decision that he has to make. I, I worry about the things that I control. I don't control that. And, again, the message for me is let's unite as a party. Let's remember what the mission is here. The mission is to beat Sheriff Brown. And I hope that everybody uh, understands that and rallies around that mission, and let's get that done. Bernie, let's take a walk outside of the state, even though this is where your election will be, um, and just give me your thoughts on what happened in Colorado two days ago. It's just, it's uh, insane. Uh, I, there's not enough adjectives uh, to say it. These are seven appointed. I don't think that's been a good part. That hasn't been reported properly. These are seven Supreme Court justices that weren't elected. They were appointed by leftist Democrat governors. Even in that case, they still only voted four to three. Uh, I think the Supreme Court is going to reverse it. This is Banana Republic stuff. This is the kind of thing that you see in the continent where I came from. Bob's South American dictators would be very proud of that decision. I think our founders would have been ashamed of what they saw. Of course, as you and I both know, because we both study American history and we know the Constitution, uh, the, the state Supreme Court has no right in telling voters who their presidential candidate can be. This is how desperate they are. I have a question for the hardcore Democrats and even some of the these squishy Republicans. If President Trump is so hard, uh, so easy to beat in the general election, why is it? Why are the Democrats working overtime in ways that would fundamentally destroy this country in order to keep them off the ballot? Well, they, of course, we know the answer. That if the election were today, this would be a landslide, and President Trump would win resoundingly. Uh, I think the Supreme Court's going to reverse that. I hope they do it sooner than later. And I hope we can heal back as a result of some of these things the Democrats are doing, because let's be honest, they're willing to burn this country down to stay in power. Yes, they are. 100% they are. They're, they're literally willing to surrender the republic as we know it uh, and turn it into a banana republic. I said yesterday, on my and I opened my show with this this morning, not that you heard it, but uh, that I knew it was going to be just a matter of time before other states were emboldened by this. It took less than a day. Yesterday, the lieutenant governor of California wrote a letter to the secretary of state of California and said, what can we do to copy Colorado? How do we make sure this guy does not get on the ballot in California? So what, what the Supreme Court, and you're right, by the way, unelected uh, justices. I pointed that out myself as well. It's very, very important. They don't have to answer to the voters. They can do whatever they want. Um, but these unelected uh, Colorado Supreme Court justices were going to were going to um, uh, um, um, influence, I guess is the best way to say it, a lot of other states into doing the same thing. There's already 15 other states that have lawsuits that have been filed to keep Trump off the ballot there. Now that they did this and took the first step in Colorado, it is only going to embolden those other states, which means all of the rest of us lose our rights. Because if, if our guy... You know, if we vote for Donald Trump here in the state of Ohio, but he's not eligible in the other states where electoral votes are needed, then our votes are invalidated as well. How do you protect democracy, Bernie Marino, by attacking our democracy? Well, and again, remember the talking points from the radical left, right, which is that President Trump is a a threat to democracy. 
They talk about every day for them is January 6th. It's a Groundhog's Day for, for these crazy Democrats. They wake up every day is January 6th. And yet the reality is they're attacking democracy. They're the ones that are attacking our constitutional principles. They're working overtime to disenfranchise our voters. The Lincoln Project, which is a disgusting organization, tweeted out a picture of Biden declaring the winner for the 2024 election. I mean, this is they're making a mockery and a joke of our foundational institutions and then attacking us conservatives as a threat to democracy. I mean, you can't you can't even wrap your head around how insane these people are. Yeah, you know, it's a threat to democracy. It's, it's, it's also just a fundamental assault on our Constitution, right? I mean, if you were ever accused of something, Bernie, and, and not that you've done anything that would warrant such, a, such an accusation, but if you were ever accused of something and then punished on the basis of that accusation alone without ever having a trial, without an indictment, a trial, and then a conviction, and your punishment was handed out, um, w- would you feel like you were in the United States? Because that's exactly what they just did to Donald Trump. No, I, as I say, in, in South American uh, countries, that's just called Monday. In America, we had that. <laughs> I uh, right? at that. But... <laughs> no, it's true. And the reality is, in America, we always thought, well, you know, what makes this country special, unique, what's made it such a strong, amazing nation, is we have a rule of law. That's, that's the foundation of this country. And they are just chipping away at that. They've been chipping away with it. Now they're just massively taking out chunks. And like I said, I hope and pray Bob, that we get to the point where we can put this country back together and back on track so that we do have a blind, evil, even justice system and not what we're seeing now, which is if you're a Biden or if you're a far left uh, extremist, you have you get a pass. If you're a conservative, you're a Republican, you get punished on things that uh, strip you of due process because it's not about President Trump. This is a man who's very wealthy, very successful, very powerful. If they can do that to him, what can they do to us ordinary folk, right? I mean, think about that for a second. Well, it's already happening to ordinary folk. It, 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 you know, there are there are a couple hundred people sitting in Washington D.C. prison slash gulags right now without due process. They have not been. Uh, I talked to a guy on this program from his prison cell just uh, three days ago from his prison cell in Washington. He has been held now for over one thousand days without a trial. Not one single shred of the constitution says that you could hold somebody for that long without a trial but that's exactly what they are doing to him so they're violating his due process rights right now exactly to your point yeah and if you're a mom going to a school board meeting you have concerns about your kid who's six seven eight years old being shown basically what you and i when we were kids would have been called pornography all of a sudden you're a threat to democracy the fbi is opening a file on you they're raiding your home Again, this is this is we're we're in times that I never thought I would see. I say all the time. My mom passed away last June. She loved this country, Bob. This is a woman who came here in her thirties, brought her seven kids here. She loved this country unlike anybody I've ever met in my life. If she were alive today, I can't even imagine the sadness that she would feel. She's seen this country get to this point. Bernie, the size and the scope of the challenge that awaits you when you get to D.C., if you are successful in beating uh, Frank and Matt and then Sherrod Brown, um, is, is, is daunting. Um, how do you know you're ready for that? I mean, everything you just said, our country is falling apart. Not falling apart, it's being torn apart. Falling would indicate, you know, an accident. Uh, it's being torn apart intentionally by the radical left. And everything you just said is real. That's a daunting challenge for somebody wanting to go into the United States Senate. How do you get yourself ready for that mentally? It's why I'm doing it, Bob. Uh, the reality is I've built uh, 
great business and great success in my life because of the opportunities this country afforded me. I never thought I'd be doing this. This is why I'm putting my life into the blender. It's because there's no greater cause for me today than helping fight like hell for this country. And it reminds me not to try to be humorous about it. But my favorite, one of my favorite movies is Armageddon. And there's a, a scene where Owen Wilson asked to describe the conditions on the meteor. And the scientist goes in this very technical explanation. Owen Wilson says, worst conditions known to man. Thank you. Got it. Worst conditions known to man. That's how I view myself going to Washington, D.C. Worst conditions known to man. Got it. And now you're, I'm just mentally prepared to go down there and do whatever it takes to fight like hell for this country, because that's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do. We can't just stand the sidelines, Bob. This idea that somebody else will fix this country or President Trump's going to go down there and he'll take care of it. No, all of us have a role to play. And what greater cause is there than fighting like hell for this country for our kids and our grandkids? That's the most moral thing that we need to be doing today, is fighting like hell to save this country. And if we don't, we will be that first generation in American history that, that loses this country to, to uh, the leftists and the communists. And I'm not prepared to let, sit, sit by and watch that happen. I think I can summarize your answer there, Bernie. It's in the famous uh, quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to... And uh, you see the evil, the, the, all of the worst parts of hell or worst, worst situation imaginable. That great quote, by the way, from Armageddon. You, you have it memorized, I don't. But um, you see that situation in front of you and you are stepping up to go and take it on and to fight it. So good men doing something is what it takes. So you have my deep respect for that. As does everyone who is running. But certainly uh, you are in a position now to maybe affect some great change as you do have the support of the former president. Bernie Moreno, thank you for coming on. Congratulations again on the endorsement. I know the fight is just getting started between now and March 19th. We will stay up to date with you between now and then. Uh, give the website. It's BernieMarino.com, M-O-R-E-N-O.com. If they could volunteer, contribute, whatever they can do, we need to build this campaign from the ground up. Unite, as President uh, President uh, Trump said, unite around Bernie Moreno and get this uh, get this uh, career politician, left wing Sherrod Brown, out of Washington D.C. Thank you, Bernie. Good luck. Thank you, and Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you. Nine fifty five. We'll take a time out here, top of the hour. Doctor Everett Piper is going to be joining us on the flip side. After that, we're going to have uh, pretty much. Uh, what we might call a free-for-all Thursday after Dr. Piper. Unless I get that uh, scheduled conversation with Jonathan Broadbent, I'll let you know as we find out as well. But uh, if you've got... You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, and a good morning to you. Hour number two is underway. It's six minutes past, now seven minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 21st morning of the 12th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. We call it the year of our Lord, by the way, because that's what AD, AD means. Anno Domini, it is Latin for year of our Lord. And I like people to know that, especially as we approach the uh, holy 
um, birth of our Savior uh, on uh, Monday. Our celebration, of course, is Christmas. That was the theme of the article this week for from uh, our next guest. As you know, since it's Thursday, it's time to enter the culture wars, and one of our leaders and generals in that battle that we simply must win, even though we did not start that battle. Uh, and that, of course, is Dr. Everett Piper, best-selling author, twice-weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He's a radio host. He's also a commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma, and the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University in Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas to you as well. And boy, oh boy, what a what a wonderfully uplifting uh, column that you wrote this week for the Washington Times as you celebrate George Bailey and you celebrate It's a Wonderful Life and you celebrate just flat-out Christmas, speaking of all of the glorious things that have happened, the wonderful things that have happened because of Christmas, because of the birth of our Savior. Why don't you take it from there? Well, I'm, I'm going to assume that almost everybody listening right now knows of the classic Christmas, Christmas movie with uh, Jimmy Stewart, produced and directed by Frank Capra, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. It's really boiled down to a very simple plot, and that is one man's life can make a huge difference. We look at the, at the tale of George Bailey being given a blessing when he was actually at the point of suicide, where he thought, you know, his life wasn't worth anything, that a life insurance policy might be better off for his family and for the community of Bedford Falls if, indeed, Bailey took his own life and the community and his family got that money. Well, as we know, God sends an angel, and the angel gives Bailey an opportunity to see what Bedford Falls would be like if Bailey had never been born. And you see the moral of the story is one life makes a huge difference, a huge difference for a family, a huge difference for a community, a huge difference for the country and the world. That's the moral of the story of It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm suggesting in my article that that is an archetype, that It's a Wonderful Life is an archetype of this one life, the most important life, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. And that that life, that reality, that fact, that historical fact of Jesus Christ and his existence as the Son of God and the Son of Man changed the world in ways that are very easy to recognize and document. You know, history tells us that uh, from Emperor Constantine to John Wesley to William Wilberforce to George Whitfield to G.K. Chesterton to C.S. Lewis to Mother Teresa, millions of lives have turned from deception and debauchery to compassion and love because of what? Christmas, the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, the reality of the life of Jesus Christ. History tells us that the Greeks and Romans, they stopped the practice of what was called exposure, infanticide, because of Christmas. The Celts and the Prussians, the Aztecs and the Mayans, they all abandoned human sacrifice because of what? Christmas, the life of Christ, the birth of Christ. Sexual fidelity and respect for marriage were normalized in the West, in Western civilization, because of Christmas. Women were no longer considered property and chattel because of Christmas. Compassion for the sick and dying and during the great plagues of Europe, the founding of hospitals and orphanages, the list goes on and on and on. Child labor laws, education, economic freedom, dignity of labor, civil rights, private property, radical, excuse me, racial equality, These were all the result of what? 
a biblical worldview, the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, the belief that, belief that he's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. The story of Christmas, the reality of one life, the Son of God, the Son of Man, changed the world. George, Barry, George Bailey changed Bedford Falls, yes, but it's a metaphor, like I said, an archetype for how Christ changed the world. You know, we're told in Matthew one twenty one. His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And a brief look back at history tells us that that is so true. He saves us from our personal sins, yes, but he has also saved us from the innumerable sins of governments and other despots who would have imposed their sins upon us, and we would have suffered the grief therein. Thank the Lord, thank God, thank the Son of Man and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for the story and the reality, the fact of Christmas. Yeah, it's um, it's it's such a, a beautiful uh, compilation, uh, basically, of all of the things, all of the glorious things that have happened because of his birth. Uh, and, uh, you know, the allegory there is, is terrific uh, with George Bailey. It really, really is a great way to look at it. The, the, the lives of so many were changed and altered because he did exist. Talking about George Bailey and Bedford Falls. And then, of course, uh, uh, expanding that to all of humankind, quite frankly, because of the birth of Christ. It's a beautiful piece. I encourage everybody, of course, to read it at the Washington Times. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can always follow everything that Dr. Uh, Piper writes at uh, uh, his webpage, which is Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, not his webpage, beg your pardon, his Twitter, Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter. Dr. Everett with two Ts, Dr. Everett Piper. So, Dr. Piper, I want to get right to your second one, because this one is is a little more challenging, I think. Um and this is, of course, Ask Dr. Piper, <clears throat> Ask Dr. E, as the column is called. Um, you, you have this kind of advice column, which is your second column, in which people are able to ask you just about anything. And this one was very, very interesting, particularly the way we break down or you break down uh, what religion really is. So let's lay into this one. Dear Dr. E, I know that many Christians believe homosexuality is wrong, but I never hear any of them explain why without using their Bibles to do so. I'm not a Christian, and I really don't care much about what the Bible says. In fact, I consider it to be wrong on many moral issues, especially in its intolerance and hate for gays, lesbians, and trans people. Can you explain why being LGBTQ plus is wrong, and can you do so by using reason and logic instead of your religion? Signed, Proud Parent of a Gay Son from Key West, Florida. I wondered how you were going to tackle this when when I read it. It was uh, it was it was very interesting. I'll react more after you tell people what you wrote. Okay, um, I get this question all the time, and I'm sure you do, and dozens of other folks. So I decided to take this guy up and try to answer him on his own terms and try to keep the Bible out of it. I disagree with his premise, and I disagree with his characterization of the Bible as being hateful and phobic and all that nonsense. But I decided, okay, set that aside. Let's tell, let's respond logically, rationally, and not use the Bible as the pretext for a response on why LGBTQ behavior is wrong and why the identity claims of gay and lesbian LGBTQ plus um, uh, worldview are wrong. So I basically say this, you know, his presupposition here, his premise is that he isn't using religion and I am. And I would argue that his uh, pretext is in air that he isn't as irreligious as he thinks he is because he's assuming that there has to be some standard of right and wrong of good and bad 
he's assuming that there's a standard of beauty and ugliness out there and that that standard can't be religion, it can't be God, it has to be something else. But in dethroning God, removing God, killing God, if you will, in his own mind, he has to elevate something else to the status of God with a lowercase g in order to do any judging. You can't have judgment without a judge. You can't have morality without a measuring rod outside of those things being measured. You can't assess the relative value of anything unless the scale, um, the measurement, is an objective thing that measures those lesser things that you're putting on it. So what I'm telling him is this is not a religious claim he's making. He has elevated himself to be a god in this situation rather than acknowledging that there's a god bigger than self. That is not an irreligious view. That is a religious view. So I, 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 I point that out to him, and then I challenge him by, by saying this. We need to remember that idols always make for a very quick work of upending and inverting good and evil. For that is the main reason, using his language again, reason for which idols are made. All you need to do is to look to the lessons of history, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao, Robespierre, Stalin, Mussolini, etc., for proof. When man elevates himself to be a god, like this man has to do if he's going to refute moral, if he's going to disagree with somebody else morally, like you or me, he has to elevate himself as being the standard, the measurement, the scale upon which that disagreement is weighed. And that's a very dangerous place for us to go. That's where Hitler went, Mao went, Robespierre, Stalin, etc. So the, uh, the rationality of his argument is lacking, and I would argue the rationality of my response is self-evident, because here's the test. There are, frankly, only two ways, I believe, that you can respond to what I just said. Either you admit that your view is just your opinion and therefore has no objective value better than mine, Or you declare you're right, I'm wrong, and you appeal to some authority other than the God of the Bible to prove it, and in which case you have just bowed to yourself in worship. And that is not a rational claim. That is a claim that will collapse by the weight of millions of of opinions, the anarchy that prevails as the result of removing um, an objective God, an objective answer, a real answer as opposed to these opinions that we are going to use as our final measuring rod for virtue and for what's right and wrong. So um, I've asked this question over and over again. Can you tell me what standard you're going to use to evaluate um, the claim that rape is wrong? Why is rape wrong? Is it your opinion or is there some objective standard out there that tells you rape is wrong? Or how about antebellum slavery? Was it objectively evil or wasn't it? If you're going to say, no, it's just a cultural construct, I'm not too sure how well you're going to fare in today's politically correct conversation about slavery. How about um, incest? Is incest wrong or is it not? Some of these things that almost every rational human being would say, yes, they're wrong, have to be admitted into that category of rightness and wrongness on the basis of some objective standard beyond the opinion. Otherwise, cultures will just collapse under the weight of the anarchy that comes from the individual preference rather than an objective moral standard. So the the difficulty here for me, Dr. Piper, is is understanding what that objective moral standard is. 
um, you know, you, you are obviously arguing it's God. And he is saying, but take God out of the equation. What if I just know it's wrong because I know the difference between right and wrong? I know it's wrong because it's in my heart, and I don't need religion to tell me what's right and wrong in my heart, that enslaving someone, raping someone, incest, uh, committing incest, and so forth. I know those things are wrong. You are saying you know they're wrong because there is a standard of right and wrong that is established by God. He is saying, uh, or he would argue, I would imagine, in response is, no, it's just something that I know. So if each of us is to determine what is right and wrong by our own standards, without that objective standard that you're talking about, that's what leads to the anarchy, right? I would argue it does. And that is indeed where more, more, where almost all the secularists will go. And in fact, in this exchange I had with this person on Facebook, um, that's the response they shot back with. I no, I'm not elevating myself to be as God. I'm, I'm just saying that I know. Well, that is synonymous with declaring, declaring that you are God, because you know yourself ends up being the final measure, the measuring rod outside of things which are being measured. You become that rather than some standard other than yourself. And all we have to do is look at the reality around us. Do you want um, the anarchy of Black Lives Matter dictating what's right or wrong if you own a car dealership that's being burned down and vandalized as a result of a local riot. How about those who disagree with January 6th and, con- and consider Donald Trump to be uh, the next Hitler rising on the scene, which I disagree with, but those that claim that have to make that claim on the basis of something other than personal opinion because there's nearly 50% of the American population that disagrees with them. And the person that wins in the next election will determine what? Rightness or wrongness? Goodness or evil? No. An election, a democratic vote does not determine what's virtuous. In fact, our founding fathers set us up as a republic rather than a democracy because they recognize that democratic vote, popular opinion, knowing what's right or wrong within yourself does not lead to freedom. It leads to bondage and slavery as the consequences of men's sin prevailing as opposed to an objective moral standard. And you know what's frustrating about it too, Dr. Piper, is that these individuals would never allow for a room for the fact that maybe the reason they know right from wrong is because of the God that they just don't acknowledge exists. That maybe you do have a feeling in your heart, maybe you do have a feeling in your mind that says, you know, you know, raping that child over there just doesn't sit right. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't seem like that should happen, that causing the suffering of another shouldn't happen, that maybe, just maybe, it is the touch of God that you don't understand that lets you know what that what that moral standard you feel like you have developed for yourself is. I, and I agree with you 100%. In fact, maybe I should have just said that rather than my other answer. <laughs> um, it, a lot of people will say that the problem of evil is what uh, leads them to doubt God, that if, if a God exists, why is there so much evil in the world? Yeah, well, you know what? My dog doesn't sit around and worry about the problem of evil. My horses don't think about the problem of evil, nor do my cows. The animal kingdom doesn't understand that question. Plants and rocks don't understand that question regarding the problem of evil. I think the very question itself proves there is a God. I've never had a difficulty with the problem of evil because acknowledging that evil exists has to presuppose that so does goodness. So if ultimate evil is real, and I agree it is, then so is ultimate goodness. And therefore there's proof that we acknowledge and understand and even ask about evil, ask about uh, slavery, ask about rape. 
we we question um, uh, civil rights. All of these things presuppose good and evil, and you can't even have the conversation unless something outside of yourself has implanted in your soul, in your mind, the self-evident truths of God. Dr. Everett Piper laying it out for us as only he can. We're going to use this uh, time out here so we can reset and come back and talk about what happened in Colorado. Uh, you shared with me an article uh, 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 with the uh, viewpoints of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., whose opinions I think are shared by many. Okay, 1027 now. I've got three minutes, and I want to give them all to Dr. Everett Piper to uh, give his thoughts on what happened uh, on Tuesday when the Colorado Supreme Court decided to defend democracy by attacking and assaulting and denying democracy. Dr. Piper, go ahead. Well, actually, I think this ties into what we were talking about before the break. If you don't have an objective definition of words, an objective definition for democracy, for example, or for insurrection, you're going to res- it's going to result in those with the most power deciding what that definition is going to be on any given day. And therefore, you don't have any permanent standard. I mean, these people talk about democracy as being some ultimate value, but then they tell us we can't vote for the person we want to vote for. They're going to take him off the ballot. And they did so by telling us what a new definition of insurrection is. I mean, even if you disagree with January 6th, and I think the people that actually entered the Capitol building were foolish. I think that was a dumb thing to do. But there, were, there was no insurrection. At, at best, it was a um, protest that went awry. If you want to even call it a riot, fine, call it a riot. But insurrection, no. There was no attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. There was a group of people that entered the Capitol because they were disappointed with what they perceived to be a fraudulent election. And they wanted time, a couple weeks, if you will, to recount the vote. That's not an insurrection. But this court in Colorado has decided that they are God. They've displaced God. They are God, and they will now redefine insurrection. They will redefine democracy. They will redefine tolerance and hate. They will redefine everything as the left is prone to do today because there's no objective measuring rod that they will honor any longer other than their own wisdom, their own brains. Their God is no bigger than what they can confine within their own little brains. They won't acknowledge anything bigger and better than that beyond themselves. And the danger of this is obvious. When they lose the next election and there's now 51% of the population that disagrees with them, they could be in very dire straits. You can't have a culture in a country that has lost its binding glue of common definitions of important words it doesn't exist any longer. Culture is lost when that happens. Wow. You did it. You found a way to tie it to what we were just talking about. And you're right. They have essentially decided that they are gods and they will make all of the determinations determinations and decisions about what is right and wrong. That is exactly what we were talking about. And the sad reality is others are going to copy them. I don't know if you heard, but the state of California is now considering the exact same thing. The lieutenant governor is asking the secretary of state to follow Colorado's lead and remove him from the ballot in California. This could be the start of something very, very dangerous in this country. Absolutely. And what's going to happen when the Supreme Court of the United States overrules this nonsense is all of these states, Colorado, California, and whatnot, they're going to rise up and say, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible, this is evil. Well, what's 
standard are you appealing to to say that the United States Supreme Court is wrong? You're appealing to only your own reason, your own opinion, and that is anarchy in the extreme. Dr. Everett Piper, thank you so much for coming on. We, uh, For those who don't know, a little behind uh, Inside Baseball here, uh, I was not supposed to be on today. I already said my Christmas greetings to Dr. Piper because he was going to have the day off. I changed my mind on Tuesday and said, we're working on Thursday after all. Are you still in? You were. You did a phenomenal job as always. And now I will officially wish you, as we are closer to the glorious day, a very Merry Christmas, a blessed holiday season for you and your family. And likewise to you. Blessing. Thank you, Dr. Piper. All right, 1030, we made it to the mark. On the other side, we did touch base with Jonathan Broadbent. Jonathan is going to be uh, discussing with us unwoke investing. But more specifically, Jonathan is uh, making an appeal. He's starting an appeal. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France of The Answer. All right, we continue now at 1036. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks also to... States are, uh, excuse me, U.S. Senate candidate Bernie Moreno in the state fight for the nomination on the Republican uh, side of things with uh, Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan. But recently enjoying the endorsement of former President Donald J. Trump. So we had a great conversation. Either one of those, you should uh, listen to them a little bit later on. Don't do it now because then you're going to miss a great chat with Jonathan Broadbent. But go to whkradio.com after the show, whkradio.com. Go to the podcast page. Find uh, both Bernie Moreno and Dr. Everett Piper. Let's welcome uh, Jonathan Broadbent back to our program now. Jonathan Broadbent is a businessman, entrepreneur, a fighter and defender of uh, children against the uh, some of the evils of our educational world right now. He is um, uh, alerting people to the dangers of ESG investing, and uh, he is uh, joining us now uh, with a with a petition drive. Jonathan Broadbent, good to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. So I woke up this morning, and I don't remember as I was doing my uh, prep, I was uh, browsing a few a few different stories. I don't remember exactly how I saw your smiling face, but I did, and I clicked on it, and it turned into a video, and then it t- turned into an explanation of um, a petition drive that you have attached to the video on your Rumble page. So Jonathan Broadbent, uh, CEO of Unwoke Investing at unwokeinvesting.com, what petition are you driving here? Well, let me begin by saying that we've all watched seven years of attacks against former President Donald Trump, and we all have various opinions of Trump, like every politician. But I keep going back to a core tenet of being an American, and that is, I may not like what you have to say, but I'll defend your right to say it. And when it comes to the idea that uh, a state Supreme Court can take action to remove somebody from a state ballot... That that gets me. That's we, it, it's we've seen seven years of what I call desperation on the part of the left to remove Donald Trump, silence him, mute him, use lawfare and attack him. And I think the majority of America, at least on some level, realizes that it's not right. It's just not reasonable that we've got seven years of of all these failed accusations, etc. So. When I learned a few days ago that the the Colorado State Supreme Court had made moves to remove his name from the ballot, well, actually, Bob, my first question, I went to some legal experts that I know, was does that create a a scenario where his name can be written in? Because if he's a write-in, that means that that's a hand-count scenario, which actually might have been some silver lining. But my understanding is no. 
is removed entirely. A write-in would not therefore be legitimate, Mm -hmm. which would mean that even people writing his name in frustration in Colorado would be ignored. Those ballots might be thrown away. And so I just got to thinking about all the contacts that I have in the world of finance, the work that I'm doing to try to get the message out about woke left influence in all things from uh, education to medicine to to the world of finance. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, and I'm connected to a lot of businesses, and many of those businesses do business in Colorado. So I put a few things together in my mind, and actually I have a question for you, Bob. I think you'll know the answer to this, being uh, a much more connected sports fan and uh, uh, a sports uh, uh, trivia person. I believe, and I'm just drawing an analogy here to the the tactics the left used. Wasn't it just a few years ago that the All-Star game was moved in baseball out of Georgia because the left didn't like the tactics uh, or uh, position of uh, Georgia? Yeah, the left determined that um, the Democrats in that state, in Major League Baseball, so I guess, yeah, just the the left writ large, determined that voter ID laws were racist. And so in defense of black people, because that's what Georgia was was trying to to invoke, so in defense of black people and uh, their franchise, uh, you know, and their ability to vote, they took the... They took the Major League Baseball All-Star game away from majority black Atlanta and put it in Lily White, Colorado, Denver, Colorado. So that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's that's what I was remembering. I didn't remember all the details. But I believe also another example concerning the state of Georgia, I believe that uh, movie studios for some time were refusing to film movies in Georgia because of the state's position on the issue of abortion. My point also is... Also correct. My point is that the left does all this. Now, they say boycott. I actually like to use the term vote your values. And I I mean that not only politically, but also voting with your dollars. So connected with this, uh, I don't know if you know this, Bob, but I'm actually, I'm acquiring leadership of an organization called Second Vote. Second Vote has been around, uh, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, for 12 years. Uh, their leadership are, are closing down, and I'm actually bringing uh, second vote to Ohio. Uh, and that fits perfectly with this, because they have a 12-year track record of addressing issues like this, the, the stance and behaviors of corporations and uh, and people. So I put all this together, and when I saw those actions from the Colorado Supreme Court, I thought, well, why don't we just do the same darn thing that the left keeps doing and vote our values. Let's put our foot down. And actually connected to my friendships at uh, Second Vote, they've done exhaustive research into Judeo-Christian values, because that's kind of the foundation of where they came from. And their, their research indicates that globally, there are about 50 to $52 trillion represented by Judeo-Christian families. Now, we're not generally as organized and as good at the le- as the left is at voting our values and organizing and protesting and um, and blocking things. I suggest now is a time to consider changing that and becoming really good at moving those fifty-two trillion dollars around. Because if we do, we can put a hurt on Colorado. <clears throat> pardon me, kind of overnight. 
that will send a message. One more thing connected to that, and a lot of people, I, I think, are unaware of this. Colorado is not the only state considering removing Donald Trump from the ballot. In my position, and I've said it in the video, and I'll, I'll say it on air over and over again, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Bernie Sanders or AOC or Nancy Pelosi, anybody. And as long as they're not actually guilty of something, some of those I, those people I think are actually guilty and should be in prison, but as long as they are not yet proven guilty, anybody should be on the ballot, and it is not the position of any state Supreme Court to decide on behalf of the people who we can and cannot vote for. There's, there's been no guilt, no trial. Donald Trump has been, not been found guilty of, of anything, and he, like any other U.S. citizen, deserves to be on that ballot. That's what really got my ire. That's what created this. I have a short video and a letter that I drafted, and I'm sending that around to people. I'm looking for people and companies willing to sign on to this letter. I'm going to submit it uh, to the people that I know in Colorado and get it into the hands of, uh, of uh, chambers of commerce, both political parties, the legislature, and I will send uh, copies directly, certified uh, FedEx, to the Supreme Court, because I believe now is the time where we need to send a message that we, the people, were not having it. Jonathan Broadbent is my guest. He's the founder and the CEO of Unwoke Investing, along with a lot of other entities. Um, Jonathan, how do I see that letter? I'm, I, I watched your video, as I said, on Rumble, and it says there's a letter attached to this video. Where, where is the actual letter so that people can see it and, and share it if they wish? I've put it a few different places. Um, I will put it on unwoke.academy. Okay. Uh, and unwokeinvesting.com. It's also on social media. If anybody's following me on uh, Twitter, or Facebook, or uh, Truth Social, or any of those, I have a copy of the letter up. Most of those platforms, I'm just J.R. Broadbent. Uh, find me and find me on social media. You'll see a copy of that letter. Any indications of interest, anybody with suggestions or connections, I would love to see a lot of businesses sending that crystal clear message right away to the state Supreme Court in Colorado, letting them know that this is America, darn it, and you're not going to remove somebody from a ballot. Yeah, I, I concur. And by the way, I'm looking at your Twitter feed because I do follow you there, and I'm still not seeing the letter. So I'm, I'm going to – oh, there's a link at least in your bio – uh, I just may be blind. I, you may have done nothing wrong here. I just can't see it um, for whatever reason on your posts. But there is a link in your bio to Unwoke Investing. So you click Unwoke Investing, and that takes you right to that page. And that, of course, has your video there. So, again, I'm still well, hunting I, for Bob, I will, I will take uh, some time right now and just make sure that that letter is very visible. Because I want yeah, people please to do. see I, that. It's probably my mistake. I can't see it for whatever reason. I just, I'm looking at tweet after tweet here. I'm looking at your posts and reposts, but I just can't seem to find the letter. So I'll tell people to keep checking back with you there. But Jonathan, before you go, I, I want to talk more about second vote because that intrigued me when you commented on it in your video. And now you just mentioned bringing it to Ohio. Tell people more specifically what second vote is. I, this, I'm unfamiliar with this organization. So uh, starting 12 years ago, a group of people uh, seeing the need to track the corporate behaviors of uh, groups, uh, people, organizations, and nonprofits 
uh, started a uh, they created a proprietary tr- uh, metric to uh, report on those. If you go to the website secondvote.com, that's the number two n d v o t e dot com, uh, you'll see first a, a farewell letter from my friend Dr. David Black. Uh, Dr. Black, his his family are, are very well known. His his wife actually, Diane Black, was the the first female head of finance in Washington. Uh, they're great family, very very connected. And starting a long time ago, twelve years ago, they started reporting on companies. So now when we talk about things like, there's a lot of discussion of Anheuser-Busch, which is the parent company of Bud Light, and Target and companies like that, and the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. I actually talk a lot on Unwoke about what's forcing them, what's causing them to behave in those ways. But you see a great uh, breakdown on secondvote.com of those companies and the the actual uh, descriptions of bad choices that they're making. For instance, if there is a, uh, and they, they measure them on what I call the six pillars of freedom. Uh, so life is one of them. If you happen to be pro-life, you can look at the corporate behaviors of companies like those that do those, uh, that, that offer money to employees to fly them places so that they can have a, uh, an abortion. Uh, abortion vacation or whatever they call that nonsense. But you can see on their the corporate stance relative to things like religious freedom and um, free speech and those sorts of things. So anybody that is interested in making sure that their their values are aligned with their financial behaviors, and I have a term for that. I uh, Actually, I credit my wife. My wife came up with the term, this the left. D-I-S, this left. It stands for know where you donate, invest, and spend your money. Because if you're putting your money into uh, things like Disney, Target, and Bud Light, those are just representative examples. Uh, if you're putting your money in either spending your money there or giving to a nonprofit that's connected with them or, uh, or investing through your 401K or IRA or whatever, we're actually feeding the enemy. We're giving enemies, organizations, people that, at least for the time being, show extreme disinterest in the freedoms and liberties that we hold dear in the United States. <clears throat> and a lot of them are actually, they're taking our money and using it against us. It's like, I, I liken, in the strange new war that we're in, I liken that kind of behavior to uh, in, a, in a regular World War II or a regular um, bombs and bullets type of war, it's like sending munitions to your enemy. In this era, when we have organizations like BlackRock that has $10 trillion that they can manage and move around at will, we, we, we don't need to be sending any more money to these, these businesses that don't like us. And we're also doing double harm, or actually triple it's triple harm because as those types of companies get beat up, our 401k investments are down because, understandably, we're not buying. The consumers are not going for all this woke stuff that's being pumped into places like Target. And uh, we, we also have lost opportunity for other reasonable 
kind of uh, more patriotic, we the people types of businesses that are not getting funding. One other piece that really kind of hits a, a, a sore spot for me, as we're in an environment right now where we're seeing the collapse of local small community banks. They're 800 plus closed during the Obama era. And we have a lot more closing now, which means it's harder and harder to get lending to small uh, startup, seed money, uh, community types of businesses. And that's just, it's a perfect storm for collapsing small business. Or the way I look at it, it's a perfect opportunity for Patriot Ventures. And there are all kinds of them creating parallel economy. You see things like Public Square and Patriot-owned businesses, which is based out of Texas. There are all kinds of great things that are coming online. And I threw my hat in the ring about two years ago when I formed Unwoke, just so fed up and frustrated with things like ESG, mm-hmm. CBDC, uh, that stands for Centralized Banking Digital Currency, influence of something called Corporate Equity Index, which is the corporate equivalent of a social credit system score. That's what's being used to beat up on these corporations and force them to to do things that are actually, frankly, harming their own brand. Jonathan Broadbent, uh, just swelling my head with information this morning. So much. I've, by the way, your wife is amazing. Dis the left is phenomenal. Donate, invest, and know where you donate, invest, and spend your money. Your analogy to a war, like providing ammunition and weapons and so forth to the enemy that you're fighting if we spend money with these companies. That's, that's exactly right. Um, one, one point you just made in the midst of that, um, explanation. I didn't quite get. You said beating up these businesses makes our 401ks go down. Can you, I, Did I misunderstand your meaning there? Because there are a lot of these businesses that we want to disinvest from, and we do want to beat them up, but of course we don't want to hurt our own our own you know retirement funds. So what did you mean by that? So I'm going to use Target as an analogy. During the, the peak of the first round of problems with Target, Target rolled out children's LGBTQ plus rainbow gear. And a lot of people were offended by that, and rightly so. And a lot of people were kind of online on social media uh, excited about the, I don't know if I'll remember the exact number, I think it was uh, $6 billion or something, the Target value was down, which means that people stopped spending money at Target and drove down the share price. And there, I think the thought was, great, we're having this, this boycott and we're having an effect. But the problem is kind of twofold. Unbeknownst to a lot of people, their 401k mutual funds are invested in Target and things like it, which actually propped up the stock price and made it stay higher than it otherwise would have. So maybe if people were excited about a, a $6 billion loss at Target, maybe the real loss in share price at Target was $12 billion. But we allowed groups like BlackRock and Vanguard, these woke left managers, mm-hmm. to use our 401k dollars to invest. But also, remember, if you're seeing Target drop and you're excited because we're having an impact and we're protesting, don't be surprised when you get your next 401k statement and your 401k is down a little bit because your 401k might be heavily invested in things like 
uh, Anheuser-Busch. That's another one. Right. We, we subtracted massive amounts of value from the brand Anheuser-Busch by boycotting Bud Light, which seems exciting for people that want to boycott, but we're actually doing ourselves harm if we're allowing our investments, things like 401k or anything like it, if we're allowing those investments to go into those very same companies that we're trying to send a message to. It hurts our own portfolio. Better, I say, to look for more Patriot-owned business types. And there are lots and lots of opportunity there. As we create this parallel economy, there are tons of companies that that are doing the opposite. They're taking really good stances. They're putting their foot down and taking hard-line stances, fighting for our freedoms and liberties. Those are the companies that I suggest they deserve the funding, not more billions and billions right. to Target and Anheuser-Busch and Nike. To those who are the enemies of what we stand for, like you said, vote your values. It's not boycotting these companies, but vote your values and put your money in companies that do share your values. Jonathan, we're out of time here. I want to thank you for coming on on short notice like this. Great video. Let me know specifically where, we're, so I can tell everybody else where to find that letter if people are interested in sharing it as well, because it's really important work that you're doing there with the Colorado Supreme Court situation. Jonathan Broadbent, thank you. Thank you, Bob. All right, 1056. We'll take our uh, time out here at the top of the hour, get some news, and then we'll come back. We will be guest free the rest of the way. So, this is a good time for you to hit the dot. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed, and hour number three is underway. Thank you so much for being with us. It is eight minutes after 11 o'clock, the 21st morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. That was a lot of information, a lot of very, very good stuff uh, from Jonathan Broadbent. The letter, by the way, now is the uh, pinned tweet on his particular Twitter page. And again, I apologize. I'm still calling it Twitter. I think it was stupid to change it to X, but it is what it is. Uh, But it's a copy of the draft letter to the Colorado State Supreme Court. Contact Jonathan if you're interested in signing it. He's looking for businesses and business ventures. Uh, the letter is there, and then the video explainer is attached to you. You can find Jonathan at J.R. Broadbent. J.R. Broadbent. Follow him. It's a great follow. He's doing a lot of really great work to fight back uh, the right way against the woke companies and corporations. He's fighting back against woke schools, uh, both elementary and uh, higher education, or from elementary all the way up to higher education, it's very, very important stuff. And, of course, he is pushing back against Colorado, 
for the obvious reasons, because what Colorado has done to the Constitution, to the uh, to our our system of democracy. Again, that's the the uh, um, process by which we choose our our elected officials. Uh, we are a representative republic, but we use democracy, and uh, all of that, of course, has been attacked because uh, the Supreme Court of Colorado decided that Donald Trump was an insurrectionist. They're saying that the speech that he delivered at the ellipse on January 6th of 2021 was intended to overthrow the government, was intended to literally overthrow the government, never mind the fact that he, at that time, was the government. He was president of the United States and stayed that way until January 20th. On January 6th, he was the government, but they claimed he tried to overthrow the government anyway with a speech that can be described as many, many things, but one of them was not an incitement to violence, not an incitement to insurrection. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down... We're going to walk down anyone you want, but I think right here we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Does that sound like somebody who wanted his followers to go into the Capitol and overthrow the government? Does that sound like somebody who was ready and willing to commit an insurrection to literally take down the sitting government of the United States of America? I I didn't I didn't quite hear it that way because I walk down I have ears. To the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. You know, I, I can play this again and again and again and again, and it doesn't change anything in the minds of those who are not open-minded, in the minds of those who think that Donald Trump is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, uh, Robespierre, to use one of uh, Dr. Uh, Piper's favorites, uh, Fidel Castro, Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un, uh, any, I mean, the worst authoritarian dictators and mass murderers in all of human history. That's what Donald Trump represents to these people. And it doesn't matter if he said, let's peacefully and patriotically go down there and let them hear our voices. Make your voices heard. That's all he said. They've determined that that's an insurrection, and therefore he cannot be president again. Our country is in peril. 
Now, I want to say one other thing before I go to phone calls, and I welcome you at 216-901-0945, I want to make this very, very clear. I do not believe that Donald Trump has to be reelected as president in order for our country to be saved. But I do believe that if Donald Trump is not given a chance to be reelected, our country will never recover from that, can never be saved. I think our country can be saved if there is somebody who is not named Joe Biden, nor Kamala Harris, nor Bernie Sanders, nor Gavin Newsom, elected president. I think our country can be saved in a number of ways with strong, patriotic people who truly believe in Donald Trump's vision of America first. Absolutely. Not his vision. Make America great again and America first are, are, are realities. We did it for, for three years, three and a half years-ish. So it's not even a vision. It's a reality. It's something that we can indeed do and in relatively short order. I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump has to be the person who does it. But I will tell you this. If he is so terrifying to them, if he is so uh, such a threat to their globalist vision that his candidacy is too much for them to even risk losing to, that they have to knock him off of the ballot, then maybe this is exactly what we should do. Maybe, look, I'm not a fan of the idea of four years of chaos. I'm not a fan of the third impeachment of Donald J. Trump, which will happen if he wins the presidency. Make no mistake, as soon as they win the, the, the House back, whether it be in 2024 and 2026, they will impeach him for the third time, guaranteed. There will be a limit to what kinds of good things that can be done because they are that evil. But I would be willing to risk all of that just to save the country. And putting Donald Trump's name on the ballot is step one to make sure the country is saved. The Supreme Court of the United States can do that. They can overrule the state Supreme Court of Colorado. That is step one. Then having a primary process that is likely going to lead, almost overwhelmingly likely going to lead to his nomination as president, of, or uh, excuse me, for the Republican uh, nomination to face uh, uh, Joe Biden or whomever it's going to be. That is step two in the process. Step three is helping him win. Chaos be damned. I don't want chaos. I don't like a lot of the things that are going to happen as a result of this. But if it means saving the country, we better doggone well commit ourselves to doing it. And it literally will mean that. If they can, without due process, declare somebody whose words, if this were a trial, if there were a jury trial, part of the evidence of the defense of Donald J. Trump against the charge of insurrection against the United States of American go- America's government, one, part, one of the lead, in fact, maybe the only piece of evidence that the defense attorneys would need to play is what I just played. Did that sound like somebody exhorting people to go down there and attack the Capitol? Did that sound like somebody was telling them, go smash windows and break in and steal stuff? No. It didn't. And those who did do those things were not egged on by Donald J. Trump. They were egged on by the federales who were infiltrating the Trump crowd of supporters who were down there. People like Ray Epps. We got to go. We got to go. Let's go. Let's get inside. Those individuals are the ones who literally tried to obstruct the official proceedings of Congress 
which of course now is being questioned by the Supreme Court whether they the, the individuals inside can be charged with that. But they were the ones who took it took it beyond peaceful and patriotically protesting. And they were exhorted by the, the leftist federalities who were in the in the uh, in the crowd, not by Donald J. Trump. The defense would play that tape. The jury would come back immediately. Of course, that's not uh, inciting an insurrection. He told them to make their voices heard, which is what all Americans do, especially when they feel like they have a legitimate gripe, a legitimate complaint, a legitimate concern about the conduct of, of the elected officials that they chose. That's exactly what the United States is built upon. That's how it's supposed to work. The problem is they don't have a trial. They never would have a trial. And yet somehow the Colorado Supreme Court decided to pronounce guilt in a trial that never existed. So uh, I support what Jonathan is doing there. I support all of the legal minds that are out there, including some Democrats saying this is crazy, this is wrong, this has got to be overturned. All right, TJ's in Cleveland. TJ, fire away. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, when I think of insurrection, the first thing comes to my mind is Chuck Schumer standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, threatening these justices if they don't come up with the decision the left wants. Now, that's insurrection. Now, the reason I called, that one news story you had about that NFL ex-player talking about how stupid the white fans are, don't know anything about football. Oh, yeah, you Richard, uh, yeah. Richard uh, uh, Mendenhall. Menden, yeah. Mendenhall, yeah. Uh, but uh, anybody watches an NFL game, and when they scan the crowd, the one thing that's pretty obvious, the vast, vast, vast majority of the fans are these supposedly stupid white people that don't know anything about football. And if it wasn't for the stupid white people, there would be no NFL. And Mendenhall wouldn't be working as a millionaire. He'd be working somewhere in a car wash. In in other words, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well, you know... uh... The sad reality is, TJ, and I don't disagree with anything you just said, uh, but the sad reality is guys like that, aren't they don't connect the two. They don't connect, you know, insulting the fan base to who pays that salary that he earned for however many years he spent in the league. Uh, he's been out of the league for quite a while now. But but he doesn't connect the fact that he's got millions of dollars and lives a lavish lifestyle because of the people that he that he insulted. Because the only thing that drives people like that is their own personal racism, the hatred for other people who don't look like them, particularly those who are, you know, using the victimhood mentality to say that I don't get a fair shake in this systemically racist country. So therefore, uh, you know, it's okay for me to condemn those who oppress me. You know, that's what the division of critical race theory is all about. He doesn't connect that and realize, you know, if I say Michael Jordan got it. Michael Jordan knew. Michael Jordan was asked why he didn't stand up for more black causes when he was the uh, most popular athlete in the world. He probably still is the most popular athlete in the world, be, having been retired for 20 years. But he, he said, the reason I don't do that is because Republicans buy sneakers, too. In other words, I want to market myself to everybody, to Republicans, to Democrats, everybody. Why would I cut half of the market out uh, you know, by saying things that are, that are going to be divis- divisive? Most guys don't get that. I shouldn't say most. A lot of guys don't get that, and Richard Mendenhall is one of them, TJ. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, well, you know, maybe the white fans are stupid if they keep supporting this NFL. I mean, well, after this I, you know, I stopped right? supporting them, but not because I'm white. I stopped supporting them because they're woke. 
Same thing for the NFL, or excuse me, uh, uh, NBA. Same thing for Major League Baseball. I mean, yeah, I, of course, I don't like the idea of them playing the black national anthem because that would indicate that black people are not part of this nation and thus, uh, uh, you know, covered by the actual national anthem. And that is ridiculous and stupid. I don't like that. But my distaste for the NFL doesn't have to do with my white skin. It has to do with their woke values. And, uh, uh, and that's why I left them uh, quite a bit ago, and I don't regret it one bit. Do I have time for a more lighter thing? Yeah, real quick. Okay. You know, with Christmas coming, I remember I'm watching this commercial about this the kids building this snowman, and uh, they asked the father for their hat. And here he puts it on the head, and the snowman comes alive yelling, Happy New Year, and the kids start screaming and running. You know, in the real world, that would happen. It'd scare the bejeebers out of you. You know, another one I think about is up on the rooftop, you know, in real America, if you had a group of reindeer ruining your roof and your shingles, you wouldn't be welcoming this fat guy down in your living room. You'd be out there with a shotgun. <laughs> and, yeah, and the very last one is jingle bells, you know, what fun it is to ride in the one-horse open sleigh. If you think it's that much fun, when it's 9 degrees outside, get in a convertible, take the top down, and go for a ride and tell me how much fun you're having. Well, thank you for the Christmas greetings, Mr. Grinch. Uh, it's good to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> TJ, thank you, TJ. Uh, let's go to tell you that's that was the grinchiest uh, Christmas call I think I've ever had, or at least the last part of it anyway. Ripping on all of the uh, of the of the classics. Tony is uh, in South Euclid. Hey, Tony, go ahead. Yeah, Tony in South Euclid. How you doing, sir? Okay. Yeah, I I I, I so surprised. I'm glad you uh, played the the tape of his, uh, Mr. Trump of his of his speech mm-hmm. the day of the so-called insurrection, because I don't know how many times you have to hear it. It's more than obvious. Uh, he did not pursue that, that so-called action. And um, I would, you know, recommend your radio station or other stations or whatever, or even, you know, Mr. Trump to play that more and more. And remember the more and more that they're against Mr. Trump and the more they, uh, accuse him of this insurrection. People are getting smarter because of the information like this particular tape that you just played, which I think should be played more, as I said. I do too. As, yeah, and, and as they, it's just going to promote him and, and more and more make him look better. And if he, I don't know if the gag order is still in, in, in action with the, with the courts, but he could play those those tapes over and over to prove his point and not even say well, the gag the gag order only limits him to criticism of the case for which he uh, that he is involved in you know that uh, that civil that civil trial about overinflating the value of his assets and so forth so he's not he's, he doesn't have a gag order for everything he can absolutely uh discuss uh you know the the January 6th situation and I agree with you I think every single rally that he holds they should play this over the loudspeakers the part that i just played there it's not long what is it two minutes long of him saying let's peacefully and patriotically go make our voices heard it literally it can't be ignored by all the media it is right now but if he plays it 
and thousands of people hear it at every stop that he makes. They can't ignore it forever. It's going to get out, and more and more people who have never heard it are going to hear it for the first time, and they're going to revolt against you know those who are trying to punish him and trying to stop him from being on the ballot in other states besides Colorado. I agree with you 100%. I think they should play it. I think Newsmax should play it every night on their TV show in primetime. I think Fox should play it every night on their TV shows. I think they should play it everywhere that they can, and, uh, and I'll commit to doing it here at least on a daily basis. Well, that's great. That's great to hear, and I'm I'm all for Mr. Trump, and and I think at one time there, they were talking about putting a gag order on, on some of his things, uh, more than just that particular civil case. Well, but, I think you know, I think there is a threat of a gag order in in I think all of his his cases, including you know the 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 uh, criminal trials that he's facing, those four indictments. I think there is a threat. I don't think any have been issued because those those cases are not you know have not yet begun, at least from the trial standpoint of those things. But uh, but yeah, they're they're trying to silence him, and that is obviously a huge problem, uh, Tony. Uh, but but they can't silence all of us, and uh, we can say the things that need to be said, and that includes playing that tape again and again. Yeah, and he has another option. He has a recourse. And, again, uh, I'm glad you're doing that. And if you can play it more and more, um, I think people will really listen and really understand the absolute truth. Thank you. Totally agree. Thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Cheer! Cheer! Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. I I don't see any reason uh, not to play it again. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Actually, that wasn't the one. But I'm glad I played that accidentally. My finger hit the wrong button. I'm glad I played that, too. That was one of the lines in the speech from the Ellipse that the Colorado Supreme Court used to justify their decision to ban him from the ballot on the grounds of insurrection. They said that he told his, his, uh, his followers that day to fight, to fight like hell. As if that means go and, and physically cause a fist fight. Now... Obviously, this has been litigated and this has been, you know, debunked and dismissed many times over the course of the last three years. All we have to do is play the scores of Democrats uh, in interviews and in speeches screaming to fight. And I'm going to fight and we're going to fight them. We're going to fight and we're going to fight, 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 fight. Because everybody knows that fight doesn't necessarily mean physically. It means we're going to continue to work our hardest to win fight to win football coaches tell their players we're going to get out there and fight like hell does that mean they want their team to rip the helmets off the opponents and beat them and bludgeon them about the about the head and shoulders is that what you think what obviously not but that's what they did they said that because Donald Trump told his followers that day to fight like hell that trumps pardon the the phrase but trumps his call for peaceful and patriotic expression of voices. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. 
Anyone you want, but I think right here we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. It's almost like he, you know, knew or thought or was concerned that there might be some people who got a little out of hand. So he intentionally, the exact opposite of what the, 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 the Colorado Supreme Court and the left accused him of doing, which is inciting violence, he very intentionally did the opposite and said, I know many of you are going to be marching down to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. It's like he stuck the word peacefully in when he didn't have to. He did it specifically to encourage peace. At least that's how I heard it. And so for them to say that he wanted his people to go down there and fight, and fight like hell physically, not metaphorically, it's just, it's just, it's impossible to, to justify such, such intentional ignorance. I mean, in, in all seriousness, it is just, it's, it's daft to think that there was coded language in the words fight like hell. Fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. To, to, to intentionally and willfully try to turn that into, see, he told them to go and attack people. If they were going to attack people, they would have brought weapons. If Donald Trump wanted them to physically go and assault the Capitol, you know, there are probably some of them who would have. But he didn't say that. He said, peacefully and patriotically, cheer on our brave men and women. Cheer on our brave senators. Then peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Cheering and peaceful and patriotic vocalization is in no way, shape, or form anything close to an insurrection. I mentioned a little bit earlier Victor Davis Hanson, and I was going to read the entire column to you that he wrote about this, but I can't because we're only about four minutes away from the end of the show. But I want to read portions of it because I think it underscores this better than I can. Probably not better than the audio of that speech at the ellipse that I just played for you can, but nonetheless. Victor Davis Hanson writes, How can one be guilty by fiat of confederacy-like insurrection when he has never been charged with, much less convicted of, such a crime? That's something I said very clearly yesterday right off, or right off the rip. Not to put myself on Victor Davis Hanson's level, but, but this is an obvious part of the statement. It gets better. How can a buffoonish January 6th riot, it's a good description, become an insurrection when no one was armed, there was no plan to seize power, and protesters were advised by the purported insurrectionist leader to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. As far as election insurrectionary interference, why did liberal journalist Molly Ball label the left-wing effort to defeat Donald Trump in the 2020 election a cabal? For example, 
That's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information, end quote. VDH then goes on to say, why did Ball double down and further call it a conspiracy? Quote, there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans, CEOs, Silicon Valley billionaires, street protesters. They work, their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. As far as, that's an end quote from Molly Ball. As far as efforts to nullify the popular vote, do we remember the pathetic 2016 ensemble of C-list Hollywood celebrities like Martin Sheen, Deborah Messing, James Cromwell, B.D. Wong, Noah Wiley, and a whole bunch of others? They were drafted by left-wing groups to cut commercials urging the electors to reject the constitutional duties of reflecting their state's popular votes and instead as faithless electors to vote instead for Hillary Clinton, the loser in those respective state popular votes. I'm going to pause there and say, which was more of an insurrection and an attempt to change power? The effort of the left in 2016 to tell the electors to not cast their votes for their electoral votes for the uh, based on the popular vote of their states, but to vote by their conscience instead. That or Donald Trump saying, let's go down there and peacefully and patriotically make our voices heard. And call for an audit. How did they rationalize that anti-constitutional gambit? Well, remember Martin Sheen's shameless sophistry to ignore the Constitution and the election results? Quote, As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is, to an eminent degree, endowed with the requisite qualifications. End quote. So what makes a high elected official an insurrectionist? Current or past advocacy for using violence against the government, as represented by, say, the Supreme Court, on urging uh, or urging on more protests that had already turned violent, eventually leading to 35 deaths, 1,500 injured police officers, and one to two billion dollars in property damage, a, cor- a torched courthouse, police headquarters, and iconic church, attempting to break into the White House grounds sending the president into a secure underground bunker? Remember Kamala Harris's summer of 2020 boast about the protests that she knew that already had a long a protest that had a long history of violence? I mean, on and on and on we go. Victor Davis Hanson laid all... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.